Welcome to the Sports Pro Podcast, getting inside the sports industry and recording it on audio. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another Sports Pro Podcast. Uh, my name is Owen Connolly. I'm the editor at large at Sports Pro. Back with me again this week, Sports Pro Print Editor Michael Long. Hi, Mike. Hi, Owen. How are you doing? It's good to be back. Good to have you back. Missed you last week. Things got things got pretty dark again. Well, we, we really set the tone a couple of weeks ago, clearly. I think we did. I think we did. I th- I, to be honest, I think events events mm. were setting the tone. True. But, um, yeah, we obviously got into, into football leaks uh, and geopolitics, neither of which have, have gone away in the intervening few days, but both perhaps stories that are going to take a little bit longer to resolve. Um we are going to be speaking a little bit later on the podcast to George Sizz, who is the Senior Vice President of Marketing and Business Development at Men's Tennis ATP. But before that, we'll just uh, we'll just recap some of the other things that have been going on in the world of sports business this week. That will not include, for anyone listening in the future, um, we are very much speaking in the past as far as this story goes. So we do not know who the new Premier League executive chairman or chief executive or whatever role uh, Richard Scudamore's replacement will have. As we understand it, Mike, just as we're speaking, the Premier League's 20 clubs are being convened to discover the identity of this person. But yeah, we're recording audio and then sending it forward through time to our listeners. So unfortunately, that's going to be something we'll, we'll have to talk about next week. But we can we can uh, discuss it at greater length then. But anyway, plenty uh, plenty of other things to discuss, and a lot of them falling within the the world of football. Um, UEFA signing an eight-year global partnership last week with Alipay, the um, Chinese payment platform owned by Alibaba or by uh, Jack Ma, who is the founder of Alibaba, uh, to 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 be more accurate. Alipay is massive in China. They don't really go in for contactless card payments or or even kind of debit card payments at all in a lot of places, but they go in for Alipay almost everywhere. Where it's not big is Europe. So it's very interesting to see um, another Chinese company kind of following the Hisense route of um, just using a, a major European-based international event, using you know the euros to promote themselves probably back home as much as um, as much as here. Yeah, I don't, I don't know the figures in, in terms of viewership in China for some of the, the properties, uh, UEFA properties that they'll be uh, that they'll be aligned with, uh, including two editions, the next two editions of the Euros in 2020 and 2024. But presumably, there's a huge audience for those competitions back home in China. And uh, as you say, I'm sure they'll see this as an opportunity to kind of augment their, their status as um, you know, a payments leader uh, as part of an internet giant in their domestic markets. Interesting figures released in uh, the uh, statement when this uh, announcement was made. The eight competitions that uh, they will be aligned with, uh, including the aforementioned Euros, uh, com- encompasses 40, uh, sorry, 420 matches and reaches an estimated total live audience of 7.4 billion people. But at last count, that was the entire That's, planet. Yeah, or maybe more. I don't have my big book of um, uh, of demographic stats, sure. but that does sound like a lot of people in the world. I'm assuming that's a cumulative TV audience. 
you know, the, the old add them all up and, and, and get the same people twice kind of thing. As rights holders, uh, yeah, love to do. But um, that, of course, um, that, of course, including the uh, UEFA Nations League launch yeah. this season, yeah. um, maybe the maybe the biggest sponsorship so far to be attached to that competition, uh, $230 million uh, over eight years across all of those competitions, including Euro 2020 in 13 countries um, across Europe and uh, Euro 2024 in Germany. Yeah. So, And obviously this yeah. is a, an Alipay deal. It covers payments and a couple of other categories, but it's a, you know, it's a sign that the Alibaba group, you know, is a, um, you know, it's another, another sign of the kind of uh, it's expanding empire, I suppose, and, and the uh, services it, it provides, um, obviously signing, has signed huge deals with or sizable deals with with the IOC and, and FIFA as well. You know, its its services range from obviously payments uh, through Alipay, but obviously streaming and, and content distribution, e-commerce, other areas like cloud computing and, and associated services, technology, esports. Uh, does a bit of everything. It seems the Amazon of the East, as it's so often uh, referred to. Yeah, and a sign too of Chinese companies kind of making that journey back the other way. I mean, we we hear a lot of talk about it being an Asian century, about it being sports Asian century as well. And eventually that's going to mean sports and commercial culture from Asia trying to impose itself, you know, on on, on Europe and North America and, and, and other territories, as well as the other way around. You know, it's not just going to be, you know, Western brands, US and European brands exporting themselves to Asia. It's going to start happening in the other direction. And I think that that that's something everybody is going to need to be ready for. Staying in soccer, DAZONE launching in Spain from later later this year or from next year. Next um, year yeah. Echoes of, of, of 11 sports launch in, in the UK here. They picked up Premier League rights um, in Spain and will be using that as kind of one of the one of the tent poles of, of their new channel there. And uh, as, as you were saying, Mike, just before we started recording, also another another partnership for the Premier League and the Zone. Yeah, it was interesting. I was, uh, had a quick look about uh, back at some of the the recent deals the Premier League's done in Spain. Uh, you know, with these um, digital players and these these uh, OTT platforms, and it, it was Movistar Plus that held the, it currently holds the rights until next year. Uh, obviously, a, a subsidiary of Telefonica. Before that, being uh, sports. Um, so obviously the Premier League is, is, you know, willing to, I suppose, go with the, whoever writes the largest check ultimately, uh, as always in, in Spain, but, um, you know, willing to kind of jump from one to the other, you know, in what is a, you know, important market. This, this particular deal follows um, recent deals they've signed, obviously, as they continue to, to read their um, next round of international rights, uh, follows deals in France, Italy, Portugal, uh, and the Middle East through a deal with BN, and obviously, yeah, they're 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 piecing together their uh, their international rights market 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 by market as they do um, reports. Uh, I read earlier that they're you know they they could be on course to to hit nine billion pounds for the next round of rights, which would be a real <laughs> impressive milestone, I suppose. Mm. Yeah, a new record despite the the kind of leveling off of domestic rights sales. Mm. Yeah, quite the sign-off for for Richard Scudamore, if all of that is accurate. In terms of DAZN, we don't yet know what their plans are in terms of a, a, a precise launch date, um, pricing, 
uh, things like that. But uh, they've announced that you know there's, there, there'll be more rights agreements announced soon. Uh, another deal they've announced upon launch uh, today is MotoGP as well, which is a, obviously a bit of a coup given uh, the profile of, of that sport and some of its uh, some of the riders in MotoGP within Spain. I see some of the big names hailing from Spain. So um, yeah, clearly another statement of intent from from Design. Yeah, we don't know much about their plans in Spain as yet. We do know a little bit about their plans in the US. Thanks in part, Mike, to your piece currently live on sportsbrandmedia.com. A wealth of OTT-related content uh, on the site, including as well uh, Sam Carp, who has found out a little bit more about Disney streaming services and ESPN+. Plus. One of two very readable Sam Carp pieces on the site at the moment. The other one being about Bayern Munich's much-vaunted digital strategy, which I think is is well worth reading. I think they're, they're doing some some wide-ranging and, and, and pioneering work in that area. On the subject of OTT, this is probably the last time I'm going to do this, but um, reminder to check out sportspro-ott.com to find out how you can be at the SportsPro OTT Summit in Madrid on the 28th and 29th of November. I understand there are not very many tickets left. There are definitely fewer tickets left then there are sports pro podcast listeners, so you're going to need to uh, you're going to need to hurry there uh, if you want to to be able to join us in Madrid in a couple of weeks' time. Right, that's Madrid at the end of this month. Going on this week in London, uh, the ATP Finals, the Nito ATP Finals, which is celebrating its tenth year uh, in the wow. British capital. That's flown by. It has. How many how many years have they got left now? I understand they're in they're shopping around. They've accepted uh, or they're they're reviewing proposals from a number of of countries. Or so they are. Um, so there are two years left on London's okay. contract. London will be hosting in 2019 and 2020. Uh, the ATP accepting bids last week from cities, including London. Yeah. Uh, to 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 take on the term after that, and and they had forty letters of interest in uh, in hosting the the ATP finals. Um, it has it really is an event that has established itself um, on the international calendar in a way that I don't think, with with the greatest respect, uh, it had done before. It, it started at the O2, and it's kind of gone hand in hand with that evolution of of men's tennis and and the presentation of tennis as well on television and and in the venue earlier this week uh i was at the o2 for a presentation by uh, president and executive chairman chris kermode and by george sis who were both on hand to to talk about uh the kind of strategic direction of the atp of the tour and also you know both of them i think speaking in quite glowing terms about london's contribution so i wouldn't be I wouldn't be unduly surprised to see it move on, but equally, uh, I think there's every chance that you know London will will still be the host after 2020. There's certainly there's no hurry to take it anywhere else, but they're they're weighing up their options very carefully. Uh, a more pressing matter for them this week was the launch of a new brand identity for the ATP, their first one um, since 2009, their fifth logo in their history. All of that forming part, Mike of a positioning for the ATP as kind of 
the 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 innovator in 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 tennis the kind of um uh the force that's that's carrying tennis forward yeah well you, you we've seen you know some of the stuff they've done uh in recent years with the next gen uh and their finals held in milan i know you've attended that event owen and uh mm. Uh, and written about that but they, they they are willing to experiment and as you say um <clears throat> particularly with the london event um you know uh experiment and try new things with the uh in arena presentation of 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 men's tennis well it, it is a forward thinking um property uh, and especially so set alongside or juxtaposed against some of the more traditional brands within tennis the likes of wimbledon and the, and the grand slams and and the davis cup which is obviously uh, undergoing its own transformation um, but yeah, they, they obviously see this as time to to really engage uh, a new audience, I suppose, and to and to keep pushing, um, yeah, pushing the envelope in, in men's tennis, really. Yeah, and they very much characterised it as, and, and you know, Chris Kermode in particular has has made this point several times that they're building from a position of strength that they want to get out ahead while it is at a high watermark in terms of of its popularity. Obviously, you've had these extraordinary players. For the last ten years, um, we're beginning to see the kind of green shoots of of the next generation, um, likes of uh, of Alexander Zverev, who is uh, competing for a second year at London. Yeah, they are keen to to capitalise on on the interest that is that there is in the sport at the moment. And it was with all of that in mind, with the the rebrand and the general interest in in the ATP around this time of year, with those two events, uh, some of their plans for for 2019 um and just the kind of general modus operandi at the at the organization that i sat down earlier this week with uh with george says who is the senior vice president for marketing and business development at the atp he is also a man who seems to absolutely bloody love his job he really is enthusiastic when it comes to talking about the ideas that they have talking about the processes by which uh, they they come to execute things knows it knows everything kind of back to front and inside out. Very enjoyable to uh, to spend some time talking about men's tennis with, and hopefully that will come through just after this. George says, "Welcome to the Sports Pro Podcast." Great to be here. Thank you, Owen. Um, Senior Vice President for Marketing and Business Development. Have I got that right? Yes, it's a, yeah, it's, a nice. it's a it's a job title that it covers a multitude of sins. But yeah, um, here we are. We're, we're backstage at the ATP Finals, secret room. Um, the fab room. It's called the fab room. Narnia, I think somebody referred to it as the Narnia room because you come through a you come through a secret wardrobe to get here. But uh, how 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 busy are you at this time of year with with the ATP Finals? How big a a part of your year is that? I actually get to a. The, this type of year, this is when I learn a lot about myself, um, because uh, initially I thought it used to be a super busy period with just the just the NITO ATP Finals, obviously our big event. And what makes this event different is that we have 63 tournaments on the ATP Tour. 61 of them um, are run as independent businesses. They are run themselves. You know that the tournaments are their own entrepreneurs. They are running their or federations. They are running it as their own businesses. We just manage the tour. We 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 promote it. We set the rules and and all that. But here in London, we run the tournaments from scratch, from A to Z, every single thing our team does. So, and we made this decision only in 2009 when, when we brought it in and, and really Chris Kermode was the managing director of the event for many years. Um, I worked alongside him and, and we built, it, built the event um, 
do it literally from the scratch. So it used to be a complete shift because we still had our day jobs as a tour tour marketing. Then we have to put a, a second hat, which was which was this. Then last year, we thought that we needed a little bit more uh, fun at the end of the season. So we added the next gen ATP finals in Milan, uh, working in in partnership in JV format with uh, with the uh, Italian Tennis Federation and Italian Olympic Committee. Uh, so it's a little bit different than this because we we have a joint venture team, but still requiring a. Uh, a, a lot of effort for us, and, and actually Chris has asked uh, for Ross Hutchins, our chief play officer, and I to, to spearhead it from the ATP side, so it was quite big for us. But then on top of it this year, we we adding the, the, the launch of our, of, our, of our new brand identity and, mm. and, and a new campaign and stuff. So as I said, learning about myself, how much you can absorb and expand uh, has, has added uh, significantly. Yeah. What, um, how important is this part of the year for you, for the ATP? specifically as, as a brand showcase I mean you know particularly to to casual tennis fans who maybe follow the slams you know they're not following the men's tour week to week how how important is it to get their attention right now you, you hate any spot it's massive because in fact we're building a fifth uh, pillar of the sport this event is establishing is something amazing 250,000 fans so for uh, for 15 sessions on single court um, never been heard of before you know it's uh, and it's our opportunity to engage these fans on a different storylines because the tournament actually the biggest and the best part of it is the storyline throughout the season who is going to make it in the ATP race to race to London and that storyline helps us engage and capture 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 people and then what we're trying to do here is to actually then pay it off with something amazing we really try to do a very different showcase of the of the of the sport and the overall presentation of how tennis could be. Obviously, the product on court cannot be better. We have the best eight players in the world. Uh, the, that's all we can ask for. They playing their hearts out. They playing uh, unbelievable level. Uh, so the product on court is great. But what we try to do is to just present it in a little different ways. Add a bit of bit of technology and, and entertainment around the, some of the quieter moments of the of the tennis experience be it be walk on court be it be warm up cha- changeovers etc but do it in a very very tasteful way so that nothing feels forced nothing feels gimmicky it just feels like it's right it it, it makes it makes people to have more fun mm. and this year as you you just mentioned it's coinciding with this launch of a new ATP identity for for 2019 why uh, why are you going ahead with this now? Why is this new brand image coming out now? There's a couple of different reasons. Um, one is sort of the historical thing. If you look at look at our brand, uh, our brand, and we actually evolve just about every ten years mm. or so. There is a change of 2009 identity. was the last. Exactly. One. So we come in on ten years with our with our with our with our existing uh, brand identity. But there is a bigger reason, and that reason is in the fact that sport is now at the best it's ever been. Every single KPI that we have, whether it's the television audience, almost billion people watch watch our sport, whether it's the on-site audience, we have uh, 4.5 million fans visiting our tournaments live, pay, buying tickets to them, uh, whether it's our commercial gro- commercial revenues, which are up 60% over the last over the last five years. Every single thing that you can think of is going up, and we are what Chris always, Chris Kermode always refers to is the position of strength to try to do something. And it's not necessarily that we want to try, but to the extent we, we, we should, because uh, most sports, most companies um, 
are only open to change when the backs are against the wall, when there is a, there is a problem. Chris feels it's actually smart businesses do this when you're in a position of strength and you prepare and you explore whether you can make that wave that you're riding, make it even bigger in the years to come. And uh, the third reason is we also pay very close, uh, close attention to our demographics. Um, some, you know, we have a sort of three types of fans. We have the fans who come on site, who fans who watch us on television, and the fans who, who watch us through social and digital, uh, digital media. Obviously, many of them overlap across all three, but mm. there is a little bit of a different in characteristics. Those guys who come on, come on site tend to be the, the oldest, the wealthiest, the most educated, the, the most high-end uh, profile fans. The fans on television, they are sort of the, 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 the middle in terms of the, the, the age. Um, they're probably 45, 45 plus. Uh, um, and then, then there's the, the, the social digital fans, they have to be the youngest one. They're sort of, we have 70% of them under the age of 34, 18 to 34. So, um, so we have these three groups of fans. But we are quite concerned about television and the on-site. Um, the, the digital and social is growing and we're doing a lot on that and there's a lot more from us to come in the next year. But we are, we are paying attention, where is this next generation of fans going to come from? We know we're gonna be, have a fantastic generation of players coming through. Um, although you know, the current generation is perhaps at its peak um, and at some point they will be retiring and stuff and we will miss them uh, terribly, all the guys would what Roger, Novak, Rafa, Andy have done for the game is phenomenal. Mm. But there is a great group of guys coming through. I mean, the personalities are fantastic. We see it and, and it's happening. You know, what Kevin Kachanov did in, uh, um, two Sundays ago in, uh, in Paris was, was unbelievable, beating Novak Djokovic in the final of the Masters 1000 event. Phenomenal performance, great player, great character. Um, and you can look at all the, all the other ones around him. Uh, uh, whether it's the Sasha Zverev who is actually on court right now here, you know, uh, 20 years old, you know, playing unbelievable tennis. Uh, whether, whether it's uh, Borna Cioric, Dani Medvedev, uh, Stefano Tsitsipas who just won in, in, uh, in Milan. Um, phenomenal, Alex Deminar, Denis Shapovalov, you know, and f also these guys have a phenomenal global spread. So they cover lots of different markets, so we truly are truly global. Um, but we are concerned about this um, next, gen next generation of fans and we want to mm. engage them. And, you know, I'm 40, 40 years old, um, to a 20-year-old, I'm a dinosaur already. You know, they think differently, they consume differently because they grew up in the age of, of mobile phones, they grew up in the age of social media. That's their language. They don't consume things the way I consume it. They certainly don't consume it the way my parents consumed mm -hmm. it. Um, so we, we, we need to deliver our messaging to them in the way that, that resonates with them. And this is why we wanted something bolder, younger, fresher, more dynamic, but at the same time doing deliver in such a way that it doesn't alienate uh, the our existing core firm base who obviously love the product as it is right now because they're following in, they're buying into it and all that. So those are some of the reasons why we, why we went, went, yeah. went for the change right now. Yeah, now you've appointed uh, Mata who are a London-based agency to do the job, um, and you've gone with their concept. How long has this been in the works? How long and and had you always had first of January 2019 as a target, or was it a case of we'll go when we're ready? And and you know what what's the process always, been? Always, always it was uh, always was in the in the target was the 20 January 2019 was the was always the target. We we worked through our timelines, and there is a quite solid strategy behind it. Um, we started actually on this in the summer of 2017. We only appointed Mata just before this event last year. 
and we have been working with them ever since because it's a lot of different assets you know mm -hmm. the it's not just a logo it's not just a, a one tv ad and one print ad you know uh what i showed you guys today was really quite comprehensive it was just the sort of the, the the little window into the the whole sort of sort of uh base of everything that we're doing but there will we will be doing creative for 40 to 50 tournaments uh next year half of them will want their own customized television uh we are going to be dressing up all of our broadcast with it so all of the opening titles and sequences when we come on air in television will be will be delivered through this we will be dressing up our uh, television show um atp uh, all tour uncovered uh presented by peugeot we will be we will be doing doing that we will be updating all of our digital and social channels all of our sales tools to the commercial partners and all that stuff all of the logos have to change it's mm. not just the 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 tour logo that that we're changing but we we're changing all the tournament categories uh we're changing the atp challenger tour champions tour the next gen atp finals um all of our designation logos for our commercial partners so like the premier partner uh, that we have with emirates you know there is a tremendous amount of assets that needs to be produced for something like this and so we try to um try, we had to start early otherwise it's, it wouldn't be possible we'll be producing over 100 player profiles a little vignettes uh, that go sort of on for social media purposes but as well as for big screens when the players walk in on court so lots and lots of uh, um, assets and that's why we had to start early but yeah I, if i may you know just uh shameless plug uh, but i do feel that we found a great partner in mata um, it's a it's a great great group of guys it's a it's a smaller agency we believe that we work the best with the with the smaller agencies uh, uh where we feel we are really um get the attention that the that the tour tour deserves and and i really love the creativity that they bring into it every single day yeah we're, we're sitting with your um one of your colleagues from your PR agency, I'm not sure how they feel about being lumped in with the smaller agencies or whether they take that as a, as a slight. Well, that, that's a, that's a, but the, our relationship with, uh, and sorry, our, our relationship with, uh, our relationship with Freud is a bit, a bit different. <laughs> There's a very deep friendship between, between us. Uh, we've been together for a long time. Matthew Freud actually uh, sits on the, sits on our advisory board. Um, one of the best things that uh, Chris did right from the start, he said, we can't just listen to tennis people, you know? We have to hear what's from outside. So he created this advisory board where he wanted to have the, the most important and most talented people from the key aspects of industries that, that really help shape us. One of them was PR, so Matthew Freud. We had the head of Sachi and Sachi, uh, Rob Senior. We have uh, David Hill, who currently is running the, the the television side of business for mm. for Formula One, but he literally is one of the biggest uh, sports TV people in the world. And he's been involved as well in massively is in, in this event here. He comes pretty much every year to the event, and we see him two three times a year on for a proper uh, proper meetings. Um, and from a from a fashion industry, Tommy Hilfiger himself was um, really got got behind it. And actually, it was funny anecdote as he was quite most uh most important driver from it uh tommy said um because we asked him can you help us a bit more with the with the retail merchandise and stuff and some thoughts and ideas and direction and stuff and he, his first thing is i think you need to update your logo i think you need to make it a little bit easier for merchandise a little bit more production friendly and mm. stuff and and sort of we took it really too hard and and here we are yeah, I mean, with that logo, how has the, uh, I suppose, the media landscape, the demands of media changed and the demand, the commercial demands changed for the logo from 2009? What, are, what does it need to be to work 
in 2019? I think what we hear from every single partner is they want to reach these younger fans as well. It's something they definitely they all they all demand. We are in touch with them day to, all the time because many sponsors of the ATP, many sponsors here at the uh, at the NITO ATP finals are sponsoring a lot of events throughout the year. So Emirates is basically every single tournament on the tour. Um, FedEx has a program of like 15 or 17 tournaments. Special, the same thing. You know, it's it's a it's it's a partners, not just sort of one of things. Lacoste is obviously present at the many many events. So we have a deep relationship with these guys. We exchange. We spend a lot of time together. So every year, we took them for a, sort of a two three days sort of a retreat where we go back and think about. We share with them our ideas, but they also present to us their views and their thoughts. This year, we did it in uh, in Estoril. Uh, in Portugal, in one of our events there, which is fantastic, um, great, great event for this type of this type of uh, meetings. Um, so we spend a lot of time with them, and they do want they do want the ATP to to be exciting, to be young, to be vibrant, to be fresh. They totally love the campaign when we presented it to them, and we're already working with them uh, on obviously lots of their products needs to update. So when you take a um, someone like Technifiber, you know the that that needs to the Things need to change from them, all their point of sale displays and things like that for mm. New Year. So we've been working with them for a long time now uh, to get into the right place. And they're all very excited because, to be honest, that's why I, I didn't feel nervous about today to go present it because I felt that, that this will it will be hard not to like it. You know, yeah. it's not to, and, and I'm not about liking the creative. It's it's about does it work or does it not? And, and I think everybody can see that this should be a very positive step for the tour. So... Yeah, yeah, I think that the partners are happy and we work very closely with them. Something you said in the presentation, uh, you asked yourself the kind of brand question, if, if the brand was a person, who would it be? And you decided it was Rafa Nadal, was, was what you were kind of aiming for, that kind of tigerish and dynamic and other, you know, very... Very brand positive marketing words that you chucked in so, there. So, did you did you talk to the did you talk to the players about this as well? Um, so that was a st- off the cuff comment, which I hope doesn't come <laughs> and bite me uh, later down the line. Where Roger told me, "What do you mean? How come he's not Roger? How come he's not Novak?" Um, it could be any one of these guys. To be honest, they are all great in so many ways. I just brought him up because of his just this raw energy that he brings. Mm. You know that sort of it was a it was a comment that one of the agencies asked me in the briefing process, and I and I right away. Naturally, instinctively, uh, said that. But yeah, we, in, with respect to players, we 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 with them all the time. Mm. We with them all the time, year long. You know, it is we are called the Association of Tennis Professionals. That's what the ATP stands for. And as part of that, we really feel like it's important for us to be close to the players. It's important for them to be in touch with them, um, and we have a good vibe for what they like. Um, I presented this in a in the player meeting in uh, in uh, New York, and when you drag the players to a mandatory player meeting, it's not exactly something that they they it's on top of their agenda for being in New York. Let me sit for an hour with a bunch of guys in this in the, in the suits and, and listen what tell me how the sport is doing. Um, but they can, they all come. It's uh, in the end it is mandatory, and uh, it was one of the very first times where I just really felt that they were like, wow, this is really really cool you know yeah. like I've been here a long time we tried lots of things and I'm very proud of the work we've done before but this was a different reaction they actually did genuinely liked it you know like they were they were behind it and we'll work with them in the next few months to to get ready for for January and I think you will see a lot of messaging and posting from the boys um, come the new year you yeah because they will they will get behind it for sure 
Enjoying this Sports Pro podcast? Well, we're also the sports industry leader in print, digital, and events. Head to sportspromedia.com for the latest features, news, and interviews from the business of sport. Help yourself to a subscription to our acclaimed magazine and find out about our unmissable conferences before anyone else. Get inside the industry with Sports Pro. Now, alongside this new uh, brand relaunch, you've got a media campaign. Again, you're working with Matter, so you know that kind of ties all of that together logistically. But what what can we expect from that campaign? What was the uh, what was the concept behind it? Um, so the concept behind the Love It All Love It All campaign was really we we you start when you're doing a creative. There's obviously a business objective to it, and for us, that objective was to engage that next generation of casual tennis fans who are maybe following the Grand Slams that, that when Wimbledon, Roland Garros, US Open, Australian Open, but are not sticking with us throughout the season. And and to me, that's a huge opportunity because there is 2.8 billion people who are watching these, these unbelievable pillars of our sport. Um, but in fact, it's exactly the same product that, that we have, right? On court, it's the same players playing on the same court, same rules, maybe just one extra set, whatever, but it is, it is essentially the, the same level of tennis. So, so we think there is a big opportunity to, to engage these fans and just help them tell our story. One of the biggest challenges, sometimes they don't even realize what's happening when the tournaments are coming in. So the word that really the most strategic word from the all of it is the word discover. Mm. We want that fans to help discover how great the ATP Tour is, how great the, persons are, uh, the players are, how great storylines we have over there, how great the hot shots and highlights, whatever that is. And, and what we want for them, we want them to love it all. We want to them to love the game. And we believe if that happens, the overall water level for tennis will go up, the ATP Tour will go up, the Grand Slams will go up, the entire, the, the entire uh, um, tennis ecosystem should rise up if we, if we do, our, do our job well, and that's, that's the goal. You know? mm-hmm. And something that you're doing alongside that as well, I mean, you've talked about the, the player profile uh, slides, but there's going to be a, a more aggressive take on social or at least what you've what you've discussed is moving your social output from the editorial team here to an in-house social team what um what was behind that decision and is is that just a question of how you execute on that side or is it a question of them devising a new strategy that's it's a combination of factors, combination of factors, and I'm glad you bring it up because this is a, another major pillar of, of our strategy is the social. Um, obviously, social provides a huge opportunity where you can engage with fans directly uh, when you can build that relationship with them. Um, but there is also a push for us uh, from commercial partners. They, you know, the days of where a sponsor, the days of where a sponsor put the logo on the backdrop and thought the job is done are over. The partners are really savvy. They're looking at things and they want to work with rights holders that are, that are on top of their game in social. And we felt that, although we've got a reasonably decent following of seven million people on the on the social media, um, without actually having a team in place to to do it properly, we thought there is a huge opportunity to take it to another level. So we have built up our team. Um, and we are gonna put it, we're putting a lot more resources behind it. The team has now four people um, in, sitting in house, but we also have we also have uh, supported by our production video production agencies that produce our weekly television shows. So we have completely revamped the production processes so they can feed a lot more content into our social media. 
I believe the next year we will produce somewhere around 3,000 different um, videos for social media. And I'm not even talking about the, the quick ones you do with the with the phone on the side of the court, but I'm talking proper ones that mm. where we're actually uh, producing the highlights, hot shots, the, the behind the scenes, the, the, the player visits. We're really putting a lot more resources. And the whole idea is behind our social strategy. It's about we have a strap line, internal strap line, bringing you closer. Okay. Uh, on social media, we want to bring fans closer to the to the sport, to the closer to the players, closer to the events, closer to the storylines. Really make them feel feel part of it. And you know, I think the great sort of the case study of of that was sort of uh, last Friday, uh, right here in London, when uh, we took the players uh, via tube from North Greenwich uh, to Westminster. Uh, I mean, it was by far the biggest, uh, the highest performing day on social media we had uh, we had all year. It was fantastic. Players had their own GoPros. They were filming their own things. I mean, we really tried to do it in the in the in the right way. And and I think it was to me that's the taste of where the things are going. You know, I'm really really excited. We have that 2018 is really a a year of transition. That's mm. what I told told the told my team last year at the end of the year. We always spend three days or so together, the entire team, uh, to talk about different things. Uh, and I said, guys, 2018 is a year of transition. And my job is very simple, to make you feel all uncomfortable. Because if we want to do something really good, something really big, it's got to feel a little bit uncomfortable. Otherwise, it's not, it's not really changing things, you know? Um, so we have done that. We have been working through a, through a lot of things. And I think things are starting to fall into, into its right place. Mm. We're going to need to push still very, very hard in 2019. Um, um, it's still part of the evolution process, but it's it's coming together extremely well. Yeah. How did the other commuters uh, react to that on the tube? London I, is famously uh, famously low tolerance of enthusiastic tourists taking photos of everything during their commute. I think they I think they joined it personally. I was not there because I was still in Milan to your previous right. question. I was still. Uh, um, running the running the show in Milan about the about we had the, we had the semifinals going on at the same time so it was very very busy period but uh, Stuart here was there um, and it was uh, they were was very confused I think <laughs> to see Roger and Rafa and and, and uh, Novak and the guys on the tube um, but yeah it seemed to it seemed to get on very well and I think what's great is that one of the things that is the best part for our sport is how great the players are you know our guys. There are these unbelievable superstars and icons of the game. Okay, when you watch the Olympic ceremony, uh, even in 2008 in in Beijing, there were sort of three guys that sort of made the biggest impact. It was Yao Ming, right? But it was Roger and Rafa, right? Mm. They're walking walking in. It was it, that's how big these guys are. They 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 transformed the 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 the, the landscape of the of, of the sport. But at the same time. They're unbelievably nice guys. They're happy to talk to people. They, they talk to you like if you're a normal person. They, they, they're very friendly. It's, it's actually very difficult with Rafa to walk anywhere because he will stop and sign every autograph. He just does it, you know, naturally. He never goes like, oh, sorry, I'm busy or something. He treats people in a really nice way. They're down to earth, uh, good people. And, uh, and yeah, having them on the on the tube step just fits with that uh, with the personality. Yeah, obviously the players are. Uh... You know they're a big asset for you. Um, the tournaments being the other one, and, and the, the tennis on the court. Second year of next gen this year. What's been the biggest lesson for you so far from that tournament? Ah, the the, the I mean, lesson it's, for it's me quite, is it's it's a very radical tournament. You know, you're you're trying lots of new things as well as 
you know, just having another asset that you're playing around with. I think the first lesson is to bank in some sleep uh, before November. <laughs> that will be some good. Uh, no, I'm only kidding. Um, it's uh, the lesson really for me is the one that the, we are in a good place with the players. Okay, we are in a good place with the players. Um, for sure, it's it, it's gonna be great. And I think I, I think I'm convinced in my heart we're in a great place with also some ideas we have for the future. Okay, it will take a while before some of the more um, dramatic uh, rule changes come in place mm. uh, because we need to spend more time and really be sure how they, how, uh, how they will perform over, over more matches. Mm -hmm. So far we play 30 matches with those rules. Some of the more easier ones, um, there are sort of the, we refer to them as the peripheral ones. Um, those, I think, will relatively quickly find a way, whether it's a shot clock and, and those type of things, you know, towel racks and those type of things. Those are pretty... Uh, pretty uh, straight, straightforward. But I, I do think that the, there is a lots of great things we can do as a sport. Um, you know, we have a lots of lots of great ideas in mm. our arsenal. To me, that's one of the one of the last. And the other thing is, I think there is a tremendous appetite for the sport. We have seen it. There was a lot of places that would have wanted to have that have the tournament. And actually, one of the things we did this year, we. Normally we hold our end-of-year meetings here in London, where all 63 tournaments come to end-of-year meetings and we do it here. Tournaments actually really wanted to come to Milan, so we held those meetings last week in, in, in Milan. And the, the, the response from the tournaments, how impressed they were with, with, uh, with, with the format, with the, with the setup and everything, uh, was fantastic. So I think uh, it just gives you a positive energy um, to, you know, in terms of the lesson there is, is, uh, is continue to plow forward, try new things, don't be afraid to, to try them, particularly when you are in a good position, you know, mm. it's the right time to do it. Um, if you do it in a, in a logical, structured, professional way, it, it, will, it will always go away. Yeah. Is there scope, particularly as you're looking to kind of build up the data sets that you've got around these matches, you know, the, the four game sets and the uh, no advantage scoring, no lets, that kind of thing? Is there scope for other tournament organizers to try some of those things out in their own events, or do the ATP Tour rules kind of preclude that? Would they have to do it as an exhibition? Or so, so there, that's all. All of this up for debate. You know, that's the beauty, beautiful things of our process is that we have very different, um, different uh, structure to any other sport. Um, we are a membership organization. One side tournaments, the other side the players, and every major decision is discussed discussed together. So. We can any any one of the sides or us as a management, we can bring the suggestions and ideas and we debate them. And in Chris Kermode, we have a we have a chairman who is unbelievable creative. You know, these guys like him don't come every every day. Um, he's he's very creative, very open-minded, and he thinks ahead where we can go. And with that, we can have a great great debate about these mm. things. And that was the best part of the of the of the next gen. You were there last year on the for the inaugural version. And just the fact that it was a great conversation, that by itself is a great promotion for the sport, which in the past used to be, used to be uh, seen as a, as a traditional, not evolving, set in your ways. Well, this year we won actually two awards for, for, for the tournament. Uh, we won the Yahoo, Yahoo Sports Industry Awards for the most innovative governing party together with ATP Media. And at the Leaders, Leaders Sports Awards, we, we, won the, we won the award again for, for innovation. Um, so, for for a, for a sport that is tend to be um, tend to be positioned as a as a traditional and conservative, that's a fantastic step step forward and and, yeah. and should not be overlooked. Yeah, I mean the other thing that you did as well that was um, 
looked at as being quite radical last year and they've obviously they have moved into other sports other areas other partnerships this year but you've been working with Amazon Prime Video on that on that tournament specifically and absolutely you know, and, and here in the UK on, on other events too um, what's your experience of that been brilliant I mean the, the guys at Amazon it's it's fantastic to have a, a completely new vehicle to get into and particularly when you're talking about the next-gen fans right I mean I bet if you if you look at the research right now um, that more young people have subscriptions to to Amazon Prime or Prime Video than than they have to than they have to their cable televisions. Mm -hmm. Okay, I mean it is happening. It is definitely happening, and to have them in and then to to be able to convince them to take tennis as one of the earliest sports, you know, um, was amazing. Um, it's obviously it's a it's, it's a significant challenge um, because they had to build the processes to take live sport into the into the things and they put a significant amount of resources to build the state of the art stuff uh, so this year they covered here in uh, in in the UK the obviously Innsbruck and Queens and they did it at such a high-end professional standard they, they brought in great commentators and stuff you just see sort of a taste of it what's to come they are serious about it this is not sort of a one-off things and deep in and deep out mm. they really see tennis as the as the, as the right market because of the key characteristics of our audience. Obviously, we are, our, our, our audience is affluent. Our audience does spend a lot of time online. They do, they do buy things. It's a, it's a, it's a perfect, perfect targeting, perfect ways to get, get into it. Um, and uh, we love their creativity. We love their, uh, their passion for sport. And I think it's a really, really good partnership. They will continue to grow. Yeah. I mean, one of the things around the, the way that the rules have been changed around NextGen, one of the insights was that you know, you're trying to cut the fat basically out of out of matches. Uh, is, is there anything through having viewers on on a platform like Amazon on a digital streaming platform that you're able to learn about how they're watching games, when they're tuning in, when they might be losing interest, anything like that? That's exactly what we'll be looking at uh, this once once we get through the, this week. I mean, the back-to-back -back big events um, is a, is definitely a, a challenging thing, uh, but that's what December January is for to go back through and analytically look at all this stuff. So we've captured tremendous amount of data through this. Um, so we're going to go back through this stuff, look through things, um, analyze all aspects of it, put them also in comparison. Um, our guys are already doing it even on some sort of a, a simple level, which is looking at how much time our players taking between the, between the, between the points. Is there mm. a difference that the, that the table rack policy has had and stuff? So all these things we're going to be looking at in uh, in the in the next two months and and you know if we speak in february i will be give you give you a much more much more uh, sort of quantitative uh, quantitative thing it's just just happened you know yeah look look forward to that i mean 2020 you're going to have less time to do all of this data stuff because you're taking now another tournament to australia the the world team cup um i mean we'll leave aside kind of some of the the administrative conversations you're going to have around that because you know that that launch is is coming up and I think a lot of that will kind of come over the next the next year anyway yes for sure um for for you from a marketing perspective how is this a different challenge it's right at the start of the year it's a team tournament it's a national uh you know national representative tournament rather than individuals how how, how does that change your job it just gives you more storylines fundamentally that's what it's all about so you have a difference you have a new set of storylines and you are able to capture uh, capture the fans through more of a uh, nationalistic uh, uh, tribal uh, tribal um, storyline, which 
is much more difficult to do in an individual sport. So from that perspective is that. And, and the other part that from a marketing perspective, it's great that you start the season with a huge event and you end the season with a huge event. So you signpost at the beginning and the end. And that helps people to understand the whole thing because in each of those events, you can market what's happening in the middle. You, you, in, in, in the start, you can talk about what's going to happen in the middle of the year. You can pre-promote all the, all the things. You can also talk about what led into the teams to qualifying, okay, and all that stuff. And the same thing in London. At the end, you can do the unbelievable wrap-up of, 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 the, of, the, of the season. So, mm. yeah. And, um, you know, that brings us, yeah, it, it will take us back to London again. Yeah. Every year, or it will take us back to London next year and, and the year after, and then we have bids out. For, for potentially a new host or potentially London to, to carry on. Does, does the new brand create a fresh impetus around this event? You know, it's, been, it's, it's established itself as kind of a landmark on the calendar, but does having this new identity give you a feeling that you need to do something different with it uh, in, in future editions? Um, we always try to do something a little bit different, okay? With the, with with every 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 event we do, and, and Nito ATP Finals is the best example because it is the it is the baby of of Chris Kamot, and we have a very very um, simple policy. We've got to make the event every year a little bit better than it was last year. So every year we try to add something new, um, and and if you look at the history of the event, we're actually doing a really cool celebration of, of it in here. Um, halfway through the match, after the first set of singles, there is a there's a special show on court with everything about the 10 years in London. Um, we are we are trying to do something different. So for example, this year we brought in the, the decibel level thing, which. <laughs> you know, yesterday was the first day we did it. No one had any idea exactly how people will respond to it. You know, and this is where, where I, where I loved about us at the ATP is that we have the courage to try things and put them out there and see how they do. Um, because the way the world works normally, you know, when you go out to do something different for the first time, everybody's like, oh, what are you gonna do? And it's not gonna work. And how is it gonna be? And then and it happens. And then everybody's like, next year it's like, oh, okay, we always done it like that. You know, but we don't. We are not afraid to be a bit of the trailblazer. So with this decibel level uh, meter you know it's it's uh it was amazing because we played it we played it uh in, in the matches and you play it on a big point and there is a we, mm. we try to play it on the points when really crowd is into it and it's tried to be just the objective measurement of of the of the thing how how the thing before but what actually happened people see it and they try to go from 95 to 110 you know what i mean it's and it's really you you're having a great ovation and you just go whoa you know it's like gives it a bit of the crank you know and so it's it's been really really fun it surprised us in a little bit with it with it comes a little bit of a challenge as well you know we want to make sure it's fair because we don't want to do it that it feels like okay i'm i'm playing you mm. and uh and, and it happens, and it happens only on the points that I win. You're gonna be pissed off, you yeah. know. And and so there is a bit of a learning as well, figuring out what is the right time to use it. What is how do you make it objective to the players, and also so you don't make it disruptive to the game as well. So um, it's a it's trying and learning, but it is different and something that is definitely noticeable. Yeah. Again, how early do you start thinking about this? Have you, have you got ideas for next year that are? already in train we um we do usually post event wrap up um every department that is involved in the tournament whether it's the marketing whether it's the player relations whether it's the catering the sponsorship the hospitality the operations the transport uh hotels 
every, everybody at the, end of the, at the end of the event, very quickly, within two weeks, have to put together a little document while everything is fresh in our minds, what worked well, what didn't work well, and what we should consider for next year. We then get together, um, everyone, and have spent quite a bit of time um, discussing it, debating it, debriefing it, seeing where the things can go. And then early, from early, 20, uh, early the following year, we start working on it. You know, the, 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 the cycle is very quick. We actually typically go on, on, on uh, pre-sale immediately after Australian Open, usually the Monday after the final, we start our, our pre-sale. So things need to be worked up pretty quickly, particularly on those you know, ticketing, pricing, those type of things. Um, but then it, it, uh, it, uh, it, it trickles down throughout the year and we try to bring things as early as possible because you watch this show over here that we have, which is actually displayed across 23 different digital surfaces or so um, around, the, around, the, around the court, which creates the big opening, opening for, the, for the tournament. Well, that, in order to do that, that requires over 1,200 pieces of video content that needs to be done. You can't do that in the last month before mm. the event, not physically possible. So we actually start that around March, April time, when we, then we spend about two months just on what's the creative idea behind it, you know? How do we, how do, we do that? And, and then we start producing it so that only the last few months you only do the things that are truly dependent on players, player fields, you know? And you can just about finish it, uh, finish it before, the, before the event. So it's a, it's a complex, uh, complex process, but it's one that uh, we all love it because it's the creative, uh, creative production, is, it's just, makes it fun, it's a different thing, it's not, not never the same, and next year, with the new campaign, it's gonna be a really cool challenge, because um, the, the modular nation of our, of, of our creative, that it's made out of blocks and stuff, where we can sort of make them flicker left and right, messaging and all the stuff, great imagery, it's, it's perfectly suited for this, for this course, so we think it's gonna be, it's gonna be awesome. Great. Well, it sounds like you've got a lot to be getting on with, so I will, uh, I'll leave you to that. Thanks very much for your time, George. Thank you very much, Owen. And enjoy the week. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for coming. Okay. Right. That was, that was George Sears. Mike, any, any, other, any closing thoughts for us this week? Uh, no closing thoughts, Owen. I know you're off to the ATP Finals on uh, on Friday, is it? And uh, I'm sure you're going to have a wonderful time. I think whatever, wherever the ATP goes, London will be a tough act to follow. Obviously, they've broken attendance records pretty much year after year. And if it stayed in London, I think that would make sense. Uh, where it goes next remains to be seen. But I think you know it is time for the ATP, as you say, as you said earlier, to get out ahead of it and to innovate while the brand is hot and the, the big names are still plying their trade and to bring the next generation into the fold. So it's, uh, it's, ex- it's extremely interesting to see where the, uh, where the ATP goes next. It is indeed interesting to see where we go next, Mike, but we, uh, we can't stay here uh, because that is it for another Sports Pro podcast. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Owen. Thanks again to George Sears and thanks to all of you for listening. We'll be back next week. Bye-bye.